Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito. This morning, we have a very special guest, John Montgomery. John is an attorney in Silicon Valley, though most people would probably say about John that he is not your typical attorney. He has written a book called Great from the Start, How Conscious Corporations Attract Success, and it is that book itself is off to a great start, and it has an awful lot of information and experiences that John has had around building organizations, helping organizations to really be successful through his practice. So, John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Cheryl. It's really nice to be on your show. I've been a big fan for a long time. Oh, well, thank you. It's so great to have you here. So I have to ask, where are you today? I am sitting in my law office on Middlefield Road in Menlo Park, looking out at a green streetscape. All right. Well, it's pretty warm in Menlo Park today. It is. About 90 degrees. 90 degrees. Yes, summer has begun, which most of us like a lot. So, John, I'm just so grateful that you're here because, you know, so much is going on with organizations and the culture of corporations these days. Um, The world of business is under a microscope, and, um, you know, there's, there's... potential for a lot of change to happen. And so I'm curious about you and, um, you know, tell our audience a bit about how you got into law and specifically how you gained so much interest and excitement around working with the business. Well, let, let me give you a little bit of background. I, I think my journey really started as an undergraduate where I was a studio art painting major and um, completed most of the requirements for a creative writing major in the English department. And um, those experiences gave me exposure to the creative process where um, you, you take a blank piece of paper or a blank canvas and you start with an idea and you 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 transmute that idea into reality, which is really the same creative process that entrepreneurs go through. Every entrepreneur mm-hmm. starts with an idea for a business. It's, it's, a, it's a bunch of thought forms in, in the brain. It's a felt sense in the gut. And, 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 the, and the challenge is how do, you, how do you transmute that thought form and feeling into a, a commercial social organism called a corporation. So, so that's kind of the first component. The second component of, of what I got in, in college was exposure to um, a peak collective experience. I, I rode crew, and um, when a, a, a rowing boat gets in sync, it exhibits a phenomenon called swing, where everyone in the boat acts as one, and it is um. a magical peak experience to achieve that kind of a flow state. Right. And and then the the, the third experience for my undergraduate years that was influential was I I fell into the works of Carlos Castaneda and uh-huh. the Yaki Way of Knowledge, which was my first introduction to a non-dual philosophical system. Uh huh. Not much. No, they don't really teach that in uh, MBA school or in law school, right? 
not that I'm aware of. Although <laughs> Columbia University, Columbia MBA program had a course um, by um, uh, Sri Kumar Rao called Personal Mastery, which was, as far as I can tell from the curriculum, um, a very gentle secular introduction to the uh, development of consciousness. Oh wow! So there is it's beginning to to seep in quietly into places we wouldn't expect. Well, that's pretty interesting. Very much like the work you're doing with, um, you know, as you describe in your book and with startups. Now, in Silicon Valley, of course, well-known for um, great startups and successful companies and great startups that aren't so successful, but that's okay because the whole culture is you've got to try, and if you fail, that's okay. You go on to the next thing. So talk a bit about um, you know what it's been like for you. You're the founder of Montgomery and Hanson, a limited law practice and partnership. And you know I'm curious about what it's been like for you in Silicon Valley um, from the beginning. Well, it's it's been um, an, an amazing uh, thirty years. Um, you know, one of the things I got from my mother was. The, the notion of, of potting yourself in, a, in one place and being a decent human being and, um, you know, things will, good things will happen to you. And that's what I've, you know, that's what I've tried to do. In the 30 years of my, my practice, um, the, you know, the world has changed. When I, when I, my first legal job in law school in, in Portland was working for a judge and, you know, we didn't have an answering machine. We had, uh-huh. um, uh, quintuplet uh, typewritten, you know, paper forms with carbon paper, right. and and law firms were just getting, you know, the first Wang, you know, word processors that the secretaries would use with, you know, screens that were about four inches, you know, or, you know, five inches square. And, you know, and, 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 and now... I mean, you know, the world is so completely different, and and it's just it's just amazing what's happened in the course of thirty years, and it's and it's all most of it's all emanated from Silicon Valley. So it's been tremendously exciting to be here at the heart of things. Wow, I mean, that just that in itself. I'm I'm thinking. I was laughing a bit because I'm thinking half the population listening to this show won't even know what you're talking about when you say Wang computers, etc. Right. <laughs> I, I actually do know what you're talking about. But, you know, it's like, oh my God, so much has transpired, and it's and it's accelerating every day. And the rate of change that we experienced in our early careers um, is it, it, it's archaic compared to the rate of change that is happening every single day. And you know, I'm. I'm thinking that the um, the population, the generation in their you know teens and twenties right now, I'm wondering if they even think about the concept of change, because it seems like if that's just the way life is, then why think about it as change? It's just life. Do you, do you think they see it that way? Oh, I think they I, I think they not only see it that way. I think they feel it that that way. Yeah. I think um, 
what what the the coming generation feels very comfortable with is living in the field of infinite possibilities because mm-hmm. uh, change is a constant and right. and because change is a constant, people become comfortable living with a a very high degree of uncertainty because mm-hmm. you know change change means um, uh, new New, new ways of thinking, which, which literally reprogram how our brains perceive reality and, and the, the autonomous nervous system portions of our brain, the, the limbic system perceives the need to change as a threat. And, right. um, uh, generally that creates resistance to change. But I, I think the, the, the internet, which enables Ideas to get translated across the or transmitted across the planet at the at the speed of light mm-hmm. really accelerates change to a to a rate that was you know unfathomable thirty years ago. Sure. Yeah. Well, and so if that if they are living in the field of infinite possibilities, uh, that whole sense that previous generations have been carrying around seeing change as a threat, experiencing change as a threat, must be almost non-existent in them. Well, I think it, it's probably still existent. I think just because the human, the human brain just um, does, does perceive change as, as, um, as, as a threat, and it does create you know, some resistance. But I think, I think they're much more used to it. I think they're just... Um, uh, they've learned how to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. So, so fast forward a bit. You have um, really made a name for yourself in this valley and internationally for really partnering with organizations to help them be successful. So talk a bit about why you're doing this, why it matters, and you know how how you got into this. Well, um, I think I'll start with the with the with the the good the the big idea first, or one of the big ideas first, is, which is that I, I think we're in a very exciting place in history, Cheryl, because we've got. A whole plethora of best business practices that we've cultivated here in the valley and, and in the global economic system. So we, we we have a pretty good sense of the of the business fundamentals and and the basic block and tackling of of how to build a successful business. But I think what's really really exciting is that we've got a an emerging understanding of the human brain and psyche that. Uh, is is manifest through such disciplines as neuroscience and and social neuroscience and neuroleadership, the cultivation of consciousness, developmental theories, um, organizational development, psychology, and we can now actually start designing our commercial collectives so that they're optimized for how the human beings within them work at their best. Mm. And, and in addition, we can start developing leaders who are empowered with an understanding of these, these disciplines 
to be able to lead people in a way that optimizes the higher brain faculties and staying in the frontal cortex and heart um, rather than getting uh, triggered in the limbic system and operating from fear and, and greed. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Well, and so as as this becomes more well-known and more understood, um, you know, it seems to me that leaders in organizations um, may think, yeah, that's a great idea, and their next question must be, so how do I do that? Well, the... the the first first thing is for leaders to um, develop a map of the territory of adult human development. And I think one of the failings of our educational system is that the the notion of of one's adult hero's journey um, in the context of developmental theory is not is not part of the mainstream curriculum. In in childhood development, it's become pretty well. Uh, understood and accepted that there are very distinct stages of development in, in, as, as children grow and mature. And what what developmental theorists have, have demonstrated is that that growth and development does not stop when we, when we become adults. And there are very distinct stages of development of, of consciousness and perspective that, that adults um, healthy adults will grow through in the course of their, you know, adult life. And having an understanding of the map of this territory is really, really helpful in giving leaders insights into how their particular stage of development affects positively and negatively their ability to be effective leaders. Well, so I, I, I imagine that when clients call you or prospective clients call you uh, for legal assistance and to help them with the development of their corporations, that they're not expecting you to start talking about this? Um, No, they're not. But I have, um, about a month ago, Cheryl, I changed my profile on LinkedIn and the profile on my firm's website to reflect my new approach to working with entrepreneurs and startups. And, and basically, I have, um, you know, two, um, two, two prerequisites. One is the, the entrepreneurs or the startup leaders have to um, read or take a look at my book and find that the, the ideas and the approach of, of intelligently designing your company from the get-go um, resonates with them. And if they don't run screaming out of the building, then <laughs> the uh, the next step is that I have them take a developmental theory based um, leadership assessment, which uh, gives me a pretty good back of the envelope assessment of what their predominant leadership style is, and then I use that assessment to walk them through a coaching process where I show show them or mirror back to them 
what the assessment reveals about their 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 stage of development as reflected in their predominant leadership style and their um, their values as reflected in the instrument. And this enables me to help them design the the company and its culture, and more importantly, gives me a sense of of what the leadership capabilities of the leaders are and the the collective leadership profile of the of the of the company. Well, this is fascinating, and uh, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, John, I really would like you to dive into this a bit and share with us and our audience, uh, you know, what kind of reaction you're getting from the people that you request this of, and just how is this working for them? We'll be right back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Is your business ready to get started in social media? If you've already made that plunge, where do you stand right now? Are you using it to stay ahead of your competition? Or are you feeling a bit lost? Tune in to Social Media Pearls with host Shirley Williams. Shirley and her guest experts are here to answer your questions as well as focus on areas where you should have questions. It's everything you've always wanted to know about using social media for business. It's Social Media Pearls, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Is marketing making us ill? And if it is, how can we heal humanity and the planet by changing the way we sell? This is Lynn Serafin inviting you to join me and a great lineup of thought leaders in business, media, and marketing on The Seven Graces of Marketing, Mondays at 6 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. So let the dialogue begin. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito with our very special guest, John Montgomery, who is the author of Great from the Start, How Conscious Corporations Attract Success, and the founder of Montgomery and Hansen, a limited liability partnership. So, John, Mr. Attorney, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Out-of-the-box thinker, um, so you were saying that you have moved into this place where, you know, working with entrepreneurs and startups, you, you have some requirements now before you will take them on as clients. Um, number one, getting them to um, review your book, read your book, and to see if it resonates with them. And the second part, if the answer to that is yes, the second part is to um, actually take a developmental leadership assessment, um, which then gives you the foundation which, from which you can help them. It, 
tell us how this is working. I mean, what kind of reaction are you getting from potential clients or current clients? Well, um, when I when I started working this way 18 months ago, Cheryl, it was a little it was a little scary. I, I put out into the uh, I put the intention out into the uh, ecosystem that I only wanted to work with clients this way, and um, um, within a week, um, a minor miracle happened because I I was at a conference, a conscious capitalism conference, and I I took a break and. One of the gentlemen that I'd gotten to know over the course of several prior conferences, Rob Smith, who was the uh, president of the Integral Institute at the time, um, told me about this incredible company that he and Ken Wilbur uh, were starting in the um, uh, behavior change business and um, or field. And, um, you know, I started talking to Rob and um, told him about what I was up to and and basically, it turned out that he and Ken had been looking for um, a a lawyer who could think out of the box and um, help them design integral theory based governance structures. And um, it was kind of a perfect match. So um, that was that was sort of the first um, the first company was this That's company great. called Chrysalis that came along. And um, I I spent you know a, a good part of the last 18 months incubating that company and, and serving as a member of the management team and helping them get launched. And uh, uh, meanwhile, getting the book finished and published and um, getting my practice rearranged, I had to make room in my practice because my practice was the largest practice in the firm, but it was largely comprised of clients that really didn't want to work in the new way that I wanted to work with them. So it's taken me about two years to gently make room so that I can have the bandwidth to attract clients that want to work with me in a new way. And what's been really heartening is that in the last three months, um, companies from all over the country are are finding me and they want to work with this, me this way and um, uh, find it very effective. Well, and, you know, that's when we know that um, we're absolutely on the right track. As you know, I believe this, that things start showing up for us, so things start really lining up. So it's not my – I'm not surprised that um, not only did this person in the form of Rob Smith with his partner, Ken Wilbur, show up, but it happens to be, um, you know, two of the heavy hitters in the field, right? Yeah. So it – it's not like that you were you were just you moved towards someone who was just thinking about this stuff. These are people who live this, and you know that's a reflection of your commitment to this path. Is what the way I see it. So, John, so talk a bit about um, you know what you then move into doing with your clients when they say yes and when they um, take their developmental leadership assessment and, you know, what do you do next? Well, the, the, the main thing, Cheryl, is that I want entrepreneurs to slow down. Hmm. And the, the, you know, the, the, the title of my, the introduction in my book is, you know, be a think up before you're a startup. So you don't be a, a word with up in it. that begins with F and, <laughs> Um, 
So many entrepreneurs get a great idea. They run to a lawyer. The lawyer dusts off the last set of incorporation documents that that he or she used for the last company, changes the name on them, and the entrepreneur goes on their merry way. And the next thing they want to do is is have the lawyer introduce them to everybody they know on Sand Hill Road and uh, get, get venture capital financing. And the reality is they're probably two years away from getting funded at that point unless they sold their last company to Facebook for a couple of billion dollars. So um, uh, what I try to do, Cheryl, is get, get the entrepreneurs to slow down and really take the time to design their company uh. and, and really, really give themselves an assessment of of what their skills are and what their what their what their leadership uh, capacities are because they're going to be under the microscope whether they like right. it or not when you're right. a leader absolutely everything you do is the leadership communication absolutely. and if entrepreneurs don't understand that at the beginning mm-hmm. They're going to be judged and um, assessed by everybody they, they encounter, and they I, they better know what those people are going to uh, uncover. So right. it's better to be be forearmed and have that self knowledge and self awareness, because uh-huh. then you can come up with an action plan to improve and and further develop your capabilities. Right. Well, and, you know, we all know um, stories about um, entrepreneurs who have had a great idea. It's very successful. It's attracted many funders because it is brilliant. And, you know, they are not the leader. And so they fight with the VCs and they, they fight with, you know, their people, and they um, just keep saying, do more, do more, do more, and do it the way I tell you to do it, whether it's the right way or not. And, you know, clearly, these are not the people that need to be leading this venture. They need to have their brilliance in place. They need to be able to give direction and guidance and more of their brain power, but they maybe don't need to be leading this venture. And what do you do when, when you have that? I mean, if somebody gets, takes these assessments and, and, you know, you're able to go in and, and make the additional assessment of, you know, this is not what's going to take you to the next level, how do you handle that? Well, I, I like to go back to the the Silicon Valley model that, that I was first exposed to when I started doing this work in the 80s, which which is that at, at, at that time there were a lot of general partners in venture capital firms mm-hmm. who had started and built successful companies. And these these men mostly had been there and done that, and they were the ideal mentor type or archetype for a first-time CEO. Right. And and a, a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs may not have developed the leadership capacity, mm. but they have the leadership potential. Mm. And in the old days, the model was to really coach and mentor and guide these high potential founders who who were in the CEO hot seat for the first time, but 
didn't know what they didn't know. Right. And so the, 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 the beauty of, of that model was that the general partners in these venture capital firms had the, the, the real life experience to be able to, to mentor and guide these, these, mm. these, um, CEOs through their, their initial rookie voyage. Right. And, and, and what I try to do with the, with the leadership assessment is, really get a sense of where a person is with respect to the development of their capacities. And then that enables me to step in as an interim and supplemental mentor archetype. You know, I haven't started a billion-dollar successful company. You know, I've started a successful law firm. I went through the founder process at at a smaller scale uh, I built a you know a multi million dollar business with you know many employees, but it, it, it's not like building a high tech company that goes public. But it, right. it's a similar process. So I don't have the domain expertise in technology in in the particular entrepreneur's field. So what I try to do is encourage them to find a world class mentor mm-hmm. who, who can either join the company as the chairman of the board archetype. Or be an advisory board member, or be a member of the CEO founder's kitchen cabinet, and give that right. person the guidance and coaching that they need to succeed. Right. So, how open are these new CEOs to this? Well, again, it's it's um, you know this is a trick I learned from you know my mentor Gordon Campbell, who ran a very successful technology incubator that had about a 400 batting average from 1993 to, or 1994 to 1997 during its brief three-year existence um, as, a, as a pure incubator. And, um, you know, Gordy basically was very clear about his value proposition. Uh-huh. And, it was, and it was really binary. Entrepreneurs would either come to Gordy and Gordy would get 20% of the founding equity as 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 a exec, active executive chairman to supplement the founding team, and the entrepreneurs would either um, say that that was a bargain, or they'd <laughs> they'd roll their eyes and say, "Why should we give this guy twenty percent of the company?" And they'd walk out yeah. the door. Yeah. And yeah. and that's what I've tried to do with my my two step you know uh, screening process is is, you know, set a similar high bar. And so by the time we get to, you know, the leadership assessment process, um, the entrepreneurs are, are have pretty much bought into being worked with in this way. Right, right, right. They, right. they feel the value. So what do, you, what do you experience as the major stumbling blocks as you get into these processes with people who are very willing um, you know what? What are the biggest challenges you see in them? Um, well, you know, I, I I think that the the amazing thing is that 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 people who with whom the ideas in in um, the book resonate, and the, and the book is essentially my reverse engineering of mm-hmm. the intuitive yeah. company building process that. You know, Gordon Campbell used to spawn one successful company after another in, the, in his uh-huh. tech farm incubator. Um, so they, they've 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 bought into that process, and they've and they've um, they're they're open to coaching. And uh-huh. 
you know, when you have bright, intelligent human beings that are open to personal and professional development and growth and and have bought into the idea of doing everything they can to intelligently design their their company so that it's not only optimized for success, right. but also optimized for the people within it, um, you know, it's 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 pretty intoxicating. It's 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 fun. Well, and it's you know it must be for the CEO, entrepreneur, and the team. It I like the word intoxicating because um, you know it makes them a little heady and it makes them want more. Uh, and my guess is they must be they must have the experience of I never knew we could do this. I think that I think a lot of people have that have that experience. And, and as I said before, I think we're at the really very front end of 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 a confluence of many many disciplines that, when brought together, will enable us to you know intelligently design our our human collectives in a way that is aligned with how our brains and spirits function best. So you talk about, in the book, you talk about these three levels of intelligence, logic, emotion, and intuition, and that these three levels, this combination, is critical in order for deep success to occur. Now, I imagine that most companies, most entrepreneurs, most startups would not think emotion and intuition are two things they really need to pay attention to. Logic, sure, because they'll, they'll look at that as, you know, that's the analytics, that's the, you know, what's the market going to say, et cetera, et cetera. So talk to us about what the emotion piece is and what the intuition piece is. Well, you know, we, we humans essentially have three primary intelligences, you know, emotional intelligence, you know, logic and intelligence and, and intuition, right? And, and intuition is often associated with right brain thinking. L- logic is left brain and um, emotion intelligence is from the heart. And, and um, in order to have a whole brain culture, and this is, this is one of the this was one of the defining, the first defining characteristic of of the successful company building methodology that Gordon Campbell applied across Tech Farm was was that the the these companies each had three founders and and one founder was the visionary um, uh, CEO. He was generally intuitive. He could see the big picture and the big idea. One founder was a chief technologist. Chief Technology Officer who could translate the vision into product. That's logic. Mm-hmm. And then there was a sales and or marketing person who could translate the product and con- into a connection with the customer. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, as anybody who's done sales knows, it's, it's sales happen in the first 15 seconds the, a, a customer can tell pretty quickly whether whether what's being sold is authentic and whether the salesman is authentic, and it's the the, the sale is made on on the basis of a heart to heart connection. It's it's emotional intelligence, right. and so 
So Gordy intuitively selected three-person founding teams, and this was the first clue. And, and I, I thought, you know, in 2003 when I started the law firm that, that that the trick was to find this triad at the beginning of, at the core of a, a founding team, and that was all you needed to do. I didn't understand the complementarity of the types of intelligences represented by each of those archetypical roles. Right, right. And, Let's and, more about this. Well, what what happens when you have a balance among the intelligences is you get what I think I call in the book whole brain thinking, yes. where where it's safe for the person of of emotional intelligence to show up, and and you see this in a in in a lot of uh, engineering centric companies where, and even in law firms where um, they're, they're largely left brain logic oriented organizations, and you'll often get. Um, a, a group of PhDs who are brilliant in their technical discipline, and they're making $120,000 a year. And and this a 27 year old vice president of marketing from Vassar with an English degree is making 160 as the marketing VP. Mm-hmm. And and the and there's this attitude that look, our our product is so brilliant. Why do we need marketing? It's going to sell itself. <laughs> <laughs> and the reality is, if you just if you just advertise a, a, a product with its technical specifications, you'll get you know technical customers, and you'll miss the major market. Right. So you, so you need that emotional intelligence that the, and the balance that comes with it to be able to translate the technical brilliance into a story that connects the product to the heart of the customer, and um, and and you need the the right brained big picture person to make sure that that everything works together within the company and with the product as a, as a whole. So, um, you know, the, 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 the intelligences, you know, complement each other. And, and, uh-huh. and each of us has all three intelligences, but many, many businesses, law firms, accounting firms, um, engineering firms are particularly vulnerable to this, tend to be one intelligence dominated. You go into most right. law firms, and it and and it feels like there's there's you know it, it feels like the Dementors from Harry Potter have come in and sucked the <laughs> life out of the place because you don't feel any warmth, yeah, you don't yeah. feel any human connection yeah. because everybody's in their head, um, you know, uh, doing you know logical calculations right, and analysis. Right, right, right. Yeah, that makes me think about the phrase outsmart each other. And I see that a lot in um, organizations like law firms and many other corporate organizations. Well, we have more to talk about with John Montgomery when we come right back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. If you are looking for both an inside and insightful look at what you're not seeing in media coverage of today's legal, business, and policy battles, 
Tune in to In the Court of Public Opinion with host Jim Haggerty. What happens in the public arena affects us all. Whether you're following the latest high-profile court case, corporate crisis, or are just interested in government and policy, be sure to tune in every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. The witnesses are ready and the jury seated. So join us for our next session in the Court of Public Opinion. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and is the co-founder of BR Public Relations, who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to The Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Welcome back to Leading Conversations. This is Cheryl Esposito, and we're speaking with John Montgomery. All right, John, so you talk about intelligent design, you talk about multiple intelligences, and you talk about whole brain thinking. And in your book, you specifically point to whole brain thinking in the boardroom. So if you've got whole brain thinking going on in the organization, why does it matter in the boardroom? Well, corporations have a um, bicameral management structure. They've got the you know board of directors and and management that that reports to the board of directors, and and it, and and it's very very important for corporate cultures to um, extend into the boardroom. So, not only do board members need to um, buy into the the shared values and 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 cultural norms of a particular corporate culture, but um, if you've got whole brain thinking going on in a, a, a management team in a, in a corporation where a diversity of perspect of complementary perspectives is is celebrated and and um, and and welcomed as as leading to uh, better informed and richer solutions. That same kind of thinking needs to extend to the boardroom, and and a, a a board that is is comprised of you know five engineers is going to be is is going to likely be left brain logic and you know engineering specific specific or, or specification right. specific um, rather than you know than balanced, and so it's really really helpful. Um, in in constituting boards with a diversity of intelligence, you know, having somebody, for example, from a marketing or sales background um, representing emotional intelligence, you know, um, usually the CEO is on the board, and most CEOs are, are visionary thinkers, and they right. they tend to be intuitive. Right. And and having a you know a venture capitalist who who you know is generally a left brain logic financial engineering type, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you have too many of those on a board. 
the entire company devolves into left brain financial engineering logic. And I see this right. happen a lot where all of a sudden the majority of the board is comprised of venture capital directors who right. are brilliant, mm-hmm. but they're trained in left brain financial engineering logic. And right. when you, right. when you get that mindset driving behavior at the board level, you often lose the magic of the purpose of the company and mm-hmm. what it was built for in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the company's purpose devolves into a financial engineering exercise geared towards optimizing the return for investors rather than carrying out the original mission and vision of the, of the entrepreneurs that founded it, which is really what attracted those people and, and the employees to build the company in the first place. And the, and the, the extra um, impetus and drive that comes from having a higher level of meaning, um, you know, game-changing kind of meaning, um, goes, goes out of the um, collective life force. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I, I, can, I can often feel the moment at, at, in the boardroom when the financial engineering logic mindset takes over and the company dies. Yeah, the, yeah. the founders often really don't know what hit them, but they can, they can feel it. They can feel that yeah. the spirit of the company just yeah, died. Yeah. It, just, right. it just became a job. Right, 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 right. Well, and that's their intuitive side. So, right. you know, that's where they, they really know whether they're on track or not. And they very often have a tough time articulating that, you know, translating that uh, into language that the, those logic brain folks can understand. And, uh, yeah, it's really fascinating to me. You know, I, I, I so appreciate this work you're doing, and I know that it, um, you've also done some work around legislation in California, um, establishing a different type of corporation um, than had existed before. Talk to us about that. Well, I got very lucky, Cheryl. At the end of 2010, my friends from B-Labs, which um, were um, sponsoring uh, benefit corporation legislation in California, um, invited me to work with Assemblyman Jared Huffman, um, who's uh, running for Congress up in Marin at the moment, um, to to work with with him on on the benefit corporation legislation. And um, what what a benefit corporation does it's 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 really quite simple. We we use the existing California General Corporation Code, but add three. Three new concepts. One is that um, the, the corporation has to have a, a public purpose, which is reflected in the, the phrase "provide a material positive impact on society and the environment." So it's a for-profit entity, but it incorporates um, and, and embodies triple bottom line thinking because the the corporation has to provide that material positive impact on society and the environment taken as a whole from its operations. And there's two additional elements. One is that there's an element of transparency and an element of accountability. And this is manifest in a requirement that these benefit corporations, um, which have voluntarily elected to become a benefit corporation, 
have to provide an annual report to their shareholders and post it on the Internet uh, outlining their progress towards providing a material positive impact on society and the environment as measured against a third-party standard, which they can choose, and that third-party standard can either um, certify them or they can use, the company can use the third-party standard to do a self-assessment. And um, so that's that's essentially what benefit corporations do. And they, they're they quite significant as an innovation. I think there's a, a huge idea virus contained in the legislation because this type of corporation allows a paradigm shift to occur in in transforming corporations from being perceived to exist solely to maximize profit for shareholders and foist as many of the negative consequences that they can possibly get away with that aren't legislated off on society and the environment to a, a new paradigm, a new mindset, which is that corporations exist to optimize good and profit. Hmm. Are you finding that um, startups are interested in becoming this type of corporation, or are you finding that some organizations that already exist want to shift the way they are listed? Um, It's a combination of both, Cheryl. Uh, the, The most iconic company that has shifted to using be, being incorporated in this new corporate form is, is Patagonia. Yes. Um, Yvonne Chouinard of Patagonia was with us at, at the Secretary of State's office on January 3rd when benefit corporation legislation when it became effective. And Patagonia was one of the very first corporations in California to elect to become a benefit corporation. So that was, that was pretty exciting. And, um, there, there are a number of others. I, I helped a, you know, design firm in, in Oakland become or Berkeley become one um, or convert to one, and there have been a number of other existing California corporations that converted into benefit corporation status. There are also a lot of socially responsible entrepreneurs who are deeply committed to building socially responsible corporations that operate as responsible global citizens who love this form. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I I think that, you know, we're seeing, especially with um, generations of big thinkers, we are really seeing their sense of responsibility. And, you know, they grew up with parents who said, you know, we can have it all, and, oh, by the way, we have to be stewards of the environment. And, oh, by the way, we have to think about people. And, oh, by the way, you have to be a good citizen. And so, you know, that became the values with which they grew up, and now they're, they're putting them to work in their organizations. It's beautiful. Oh, it is beautiful. And the, the other thing they're, they're, these entrepreneurs are starting to do, Cheryl, is answer the fundamental philosophical question that our founding fathers never answered about corporations, which is, what are the rights and social responsibilities mm. of our corporations. Right. And and this this fundamental question was not addressed in the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. We had very few corporations in America at the time of the founding of the Republic. And we we never anticipated the founding fathers never anticipated 
the proliferation of corporations. And, and I think one of the things that's bubbling up as a social issue, and I think this is rep- part of what Occupy and the 99% into it, is that um, we, we have, we've never really addressed this fundamental question. And having corporations exist solely to maximize profit for shareholders was based on a couple of assumptions, which is that the, the commons had an infinite capacity to absorb the negative consequences of behavior and that resources were infinite and replenishable. And I think, you know, we can argue that the degrees, but I think those two assumptions are, 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 are no longer work in a, right. in a massively interdependent global economy. So we've got right, to start, right. we've got to start showing up differently. And what, what I'm really excited about the benefit corporations, and they may not necessarily be the be-all and end-all, but it's a step in the evolution of the corporation from being a lobotomized social entity that has no social and environmental conscience to a responsible global citizen that not only looks out for the interests of shareholders, which are very, very important, but also does it in a responsible way as a global citizen that that respects society and the environment. Well, maybe the Supreme Court was right. Corporations are people. (laughs) (laughs) John, we could just continue this conversation forever. I would love to continue. However, we're at the end of our show, so please tell people how they can um, contact you, learn more about what you do, and plug in. Well, Cheryl, I think the the easiest way for people to get a taste of my work is to go to the website for my book, greatfromthestart.com, where they can download for free the um, forward preface, introduction, and epilogue, and um, you know really get a sense of of some of the ideas that we've talked about on the show. And yeah. you know, so I think that would be a, that's that's where I'd recommend people starting. All right. Well, John Montgomery, thank you for being here. It's been such a privilege to have you and to learn from you. John is author of Great from the Start, How Conscious Corporations Attract Success, and you can get the book and Amazon and John's website, greatfromthestart.com. John, be well. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Cheryl. It was a lot of fun. Remember, everyone, to think big because the world could be a better place because of a conversation that matters. This is Cheryl Esposito. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 